public affairs program uh, on the station and to um, uh, pledge uh, your support to keep us going here as we bring you alternative programming that is not heard uh, on any other station um, and bring you artists and activists and opinion makers in a sense uh, from the grassroots people that make a difference that uh, direct films that uh, you may not have seen anywhere else but uh, in these alternative uh, film festivals and in local film festivals uh, that are in Orange County even uh, in Orange County and beyond films that come to not your neighborhood theater but to specialize uh, film festivals and you will get an inside look or inside uh, listen to um, what these directors are up to and today we will be uh, interviewing two directors as we are in the middle of this pledge drive and uh, we will be um, bringing you uh, stuff that you would not hear on other stations uh, generally and you can call uh, 824-5824 824-5824 area code 949 Uh, standing by uh, volunteers that will take your call 949-824-5824 and um, the uh, basic pledge is a uh, KUCI fan basic package for $35 and you get a T-shirt uh, and uh, or a CD, and so uh, we've actually lowered the basic pledge from last year's uh, rate given the recession. So I hope you can support us at the basic pledge. So um, this is Dan Zhang with uh, Subversity. You're listening to KUCI Subversity program here on. FM in Irvine. Uh, Today we have uh, with us uh, the first of two directors we'll be talking with about uh, films that are showing at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Welcome um, to the show, uh, Byron Q. Hey, glad to be here. Great. Um, You're the director of a new film uh, about gang life called Bang Bang. Uh, What made you interested in making this film? Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, what got me into it, well, I mean, I was raised in San Jose, and, um, you know, just growing up, like, I saw a lot of that, um, type of stuff happen to my friends, and, um, you know, just something that I was really interested in, I want to tell a story that I felt like hasn't been told, at least not about the Asian American community and that aspect of it, you know? It's still going on, huh? Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, my screening is tomorrow, um... No, I meant the I, yeah. gang, gang situation is still... Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's everywhere, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, gang gang life is not even just only in America. It's, you know, all over the world. And even if you look at um, government systems, they function like gangs, you know. So definitely a big issue. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And um, the show especially critiques uh, institutions uh, uh, of uh, repression uh, and uh, also... Uh, Tried to, tries to uncover the truth about what's going on. And so what, um, you, you studied um, filmmaking or, or studied film studies at UC San Diego? Yep, I did. And uh, the, the liner notes or, or the press notes say that you study under f- uh, French uh, New Wave filmmaker Jean-Pierre Gorang. Um, yep. what, what, did he do, what films did he make? Um, I think the one that he's most known for is the one he collaborated with uh, Jean-Luc Godard. Mm. Um, I think it was uh, Tu Bé Bien. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was definitely a big influence uh, on Godard, especially more leaning more towards like the political stuff that was happening with um, some of the Godard's later films. So your film is a dramatization, right? It, uh, my film? Yeah. It's not a documentary, but at the end of the film, you, you talk about what happened to these, um, these characters in the film, making it look like a documentary. Oh, did you, uh, you saw the movie? Oh, uh, yeah, the press, uh, oh, the cool, press cool. Uh, DVD, uh, the press screeners, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like, uh, it's not a documentary, although uh, the way that I approached the film was I wanted to create something that was um, similar, like I uh, had the feel of a documentary, you know? Yeah. But without going the route of Blair Witch Project type of thing, you know, being that type of thing. Um, and then if you look at films like Boys in the Hood, um, you know, at the end they do that type of, <clears throat> you know, it's really just like a like an ode to documentary filmmaking, too, by having that at the end. It's a dose of realism, I guess, huh? Yeah, 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 I want to really just create that realism for the film. Um, what ethnicity are you? Uh, because the whole cast is uh, multi-ethnic, I noticed. Um, yeah, uh, what am I, or what, what yeah. was the question? What, what's your eth- own ethnicity? Uh, I'm Chinese. Ah. And um, originally, when I wrote the script, um, I actually was going to make the main character um, Chinese. Um, but once we got Tai uh, No attached to the, uh, the project, I felt that it was only right to make the character Vietnamese. And um, the thing with that whole thing is also that, you know, at the end of the day, it actually doesn't really matter necessarily what the, um, like, you know, Chinese, Vietnamese, um, Cambodian, Laos, anything, because, like, the story itself is still something that is, like, universal, um, and not even only to Asians, but to all um, different races. You know, there's white gangs, black gangs, uh, Mexican gangs, you know, it's like everything. But, you know, I have a question about that, because the... That's one complaint we have about white society is lumping us all of us together and not, you know, not being to t- being able to tell uh, who is Vietnamese versus who is Chinese. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think did you have to try to put in your character certain special um, ethnic dialogue or whatever? No, um, not in terms of dialogue. Although there is uh, scenes where um, they speak Vietnamese. Um, yeah. But that's because the main character is raised in the household. Um, I think with, you know, that generation, um, the parents are still speaking, you know, their uh, original language, even though the children have kind of adopted over to more, you know, like they can kind of speak broken Vietnamese or Chinese, you know. Like yeah. that's kind of what's going on with the newer generation. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to create something that was, that did have, because, um, like, I've seen a lot of other Asian gangster movies, and, um, you know, the, they they showed more like Korean or Chinese um, gangs, yeah. and this one I really wanted to create something that was more of a Southeast Asian gang. So Vietnamese, yeah, yeah. Cambodian, yeah. Laos. Um, so I really just wanted to create that type of a feel. So there is a little bit difference, but in terms of dialogue and all that, um, you know, it's pretty much just like language of the streets uh, rather than a specific ethnicity. Uh, David Huynh, who played the uh, Charlie character, the rich, the richer Taiwanese kid, mm-hmm. uh, is of course Vietnamese uh, Canadian. Yep. And yeah. uh, he actually was on this show in 2007. Oh, oh cool. And he was uh, playing um, Baby, Baby, Baby yeah. Face, Baby, when he looked younger. Oh, he still looks young, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's going to stay young <laughs> forever, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think he, he, he has the strongest character in the sense that, I think, performance, I think, because yeah, he's a seasoned actor, you know. And yeah. um, did you... Um, did you want to show uh, that there was uh, there was a, a hope, a way out of this gang life by by telling the story, or how? What was your motive in making this movie? I guess. Um, that's a little bit difficult to say because I think even like even I don't really know um, the answers, and the reason why I made the film really is to um, kind of just ask questions about you know. Why? Why uh, people join gangs? You know, why did uh, Charlie join the gang? Why? What made him want to be attracted to that type of lifestyle? And what made you know Justin, the other character, which is played by Ty, what made him you know be in the gang, or what what caused him to stay in the gang, or what caused him to be in that situation? And at the same time, you see all the other characters. You kind of see different reasons why they're in it, or uh, situations um, why they're a part of that whole um, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, what, what did you? Uh, so this is your first film, right? First film. First film. It's your f- debut film. It's your first film. Definitely. It's your first film. Yeah, it was my right. first film. Yeah, and um, and the opening at the is it is the world premiere at the LA uh, um, Asian Pacific Film Festival. Yes, it is. Yeah, and the, the film shows uh, tomorrow at nine o'clock. In uh, Koreatown. Uh, yeah, the uh, CGV Cinemas, number one. Right, right. And uh, how does uh, how did you assemble the cast? Were they um, 
I, I know David was uh, is a is an actor, but the are the other people actors or are they? Um, uh, reg- um, no, no. Actually, um, that's that's why this film is a little bit uh, special in the sense that there's only three or four. There's actually only four actors in the movie that are like actual actors, um, and then everybody else in the movie are first time non professional actors, including the lead played by Ty. He's you know, he's a Vietnamese um, rapper. Yeah. Um, that was the first time acting, you know, first time doing that whole thing. And a lot of the people that I found that were part of the uh, the film were actually people that really came from that type of background. Um, and I found people just from, like, random places you wouldn't believe. I met one dude that was at a club. I met him at a club. And I just asked him, hey, you wanna, you're interested in being in a movie? And he was like, yeah. Um, another guy I found online through um, just, like, researching um, through MySpace. Um, you know, different different things like that. So everyone everyone came together, and it was really just like a crazy experience. So a lot of them were your friends, right? Yeah, actually, right. yeah, some of them were my friends, but some of them I just kind of went out and found just through my own uh, little casting session. Yeah, and uh, do they um, do they get paid? Um, most of the people, <laughs> most of the actors didn't get paid, especially when you're working with a really uh, low-budget film like this. Um, it's all like the first day, so hopefully if this movie uh, makes a little bit of money, we can uh, compensate everybody that worked on it. And uh, so you must be maxing out on credit cards. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I don't even know or I don't even want to know how much of a, uh, a balance I have right now. But well, I was <laughs> say I stopped using credit cards for now at least. Yeah, yeah. How, uh, on the, um, in terms of distribution, um, are you going to do a DIY thing, uh, distribute yourself, or are you going to go through some other uh, outfit? Um, yeah, actually, I am planning, currently planning to uh, do a self-distribution plan, and it's, uh, it's kind of a new thing that I think a lot of the, especially with YouTube and new media, yeah. it's, uh, it's a new thing that's coming out, and I kind of feel like, you know, it's been done before, but, I want, but only by a few people so far. Um, I want to really just do a digital distribution because, especially with my film, the audience is really going to be like a younger audience. Um, so, and they're all like you know really tech savvy and internet savvy. So basically, there's a new thing going on called the aggregator company, which is they plug your movie into um, iTunes, Netflix, Amazon on demand, and you know a couple other like uh, online digital distribution outlets. Yeah. And um, it's it's different than a traditional distribution company because they actually don't own your movie and you pay them a small fee up front or work something out, and uh, you keep all the rights to your film, and you're only licensing it to them. And they would have to pay even on YouTube to see it, somebody? Yeah, yeah. There's a new thing going on YouTube. I don't think they've fully launched it yet. Yeah, um, I heard about that. It's a pay-per-view I... type of thing. You, click oh. and you, you, know, you pay $1.99, $2.99, or whatever the filmmaker sets. So it's like... watch it on YouTube. So it's a similar business model to iTunes, I suppose, huh? The iTunes, yeah, yeah. Uh, iTunes shop, um, that some things are free, some things are... Uh, paid, uh, you have to pay. And yeah. you, you think that's better than s- doing it by DVD on the website, huh? Um, well, that's the thing. Like, it will be on DVD and sold to the website. Awesome. So it can be in yeah. all these, you know, aspects, the DVD and the digital. And so that basically, if anybody out there wanted to watch the movie, I want to make it easily accessible for them to watch it. You know, if they don't have a TV or anything, they can go on YouTube and watch it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you afraid that people would just download it and put it up on YouTube themselves? Um, I mean, you know, it's crossed my mind, but at the end of the day, it's really not my biggest concern. Like, like I would rather just have the most people be able to see the movie, but at the same time, I do have um, a couple of family members and friends I do have to pay back, so <laughs> I got to do that first, you know. Got loans from them, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so um, how, how, did you, how long did this uh, take to make this film? Um, from I say conception to uh, to actual production. Oh, come from conception to just like the whole thing being done, it probably took like about three years. Did you um, have a script or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the longest part really was. I mean, I wrote the script probably within like a six month period. The longest part after that was really finding financing for the film. Yeah, I think a lot of first time filmmakers. That's pretty much you know make it or break it type of thing. If they can't find financing, then they don't even get to make the film. Um, but luckily for me, I was able to kind of make my way through all that mess and found people that believed in me and uh, that, you know, put some of their money into it. 
That's great. Yeah, I was at a recent uh, film festival at uh, UCI on Vietnamese films. There was a oh, Vietnamese yeah. international film festival, and one of the panels uh, discussed how they now are producing films in Vietnam, and some of it is. One of the directors was talking about Charlie Nguyen was talking about product placement. How mm. he's getting everything funded by some corporation, uh, some uh, whiskey, you know, company or something, and they they paying f- they funding seventy percent of the film. But of course, you have to put uh, bottles of whiskey uh, in the film. So in a way, you lose creative control, but you actually. Um, don't have to worry about money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they do that for a lot of the studio films right now. Too, I know, where, it's you crazy. Know, you see, like, a shot yeah. of a Verizon or, like, a yeah. Coke bottle or something. Yeah. Even um, I mean, I would have loved to have that been able, you know, have been able to do that. But with smaller films like mine, it's like, you know, I think a lot of the bigger companies don't want to yeah. you know, put product placement because they don't know if people are going to be able to watch it. Even a hip-hop film they um, another director did in um, in Vietnam had uh, a corporation uh, doing a, a hip-hop uh, competition. And so they, they funded part of it, I guess, because yeah, their, yeah, their logo was there. But in a way, that's giving up uh, creative rights, you know, because you um, have to... I think it just depends on the filmmaker. Um, if they really mm. let that company take over and, you know, right. have their stuff everywhere. But, I mean, if it's just in a shot and he could be holding a regular beer bottle or, you know, or a Miller Lite... Um, you know, I think I think I, I really want to support filmmakers when they do get that money because ultimately it's, you know, you got to make the movie regardless yeah. of how you get the money. You know, as long as they still maintain some control <laughs> over yeah, what yeah. they're doing, yeah, the balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, when you were uh, studying film, did you want to do documentaries or did you want to do uh, feature films? Um, I wanted to do feature films. Although I am really interested in documentary filmmaking, mm. um, I, I just saw a really um, dope documentary. It's called uh, "Exit Through the Gift Shop," and it's about Banksy. Have you ever seen that one? No, no I haven't. Oh, uh, you got to check that out. It's it's a really cool uh, documentary, and um, yeah, it's it's kind of about street art, and it's about this dude who uh, kind of became a street artist, um, and it's about Banksy too, who's one of the bigger street artists from uh, from uh, England. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I mean, I'm always interested in different things. Really, just what inspires me, um, or which you know project really um, drives me forward for something like that. Oh, I have to give this. Uh, I'm going to get. Uh, there's a we're middle of a pledge drive. So uh, if you support this program and uh, interviews with artists like um, Brian uh, Q here, uh, you can call nine four nine eight two four five eight two four. Uh, we're in the middle of our pledge drive, our fund drive, KUCI pledge, pledge drive, and you can call this number, and our volunteers there will uh, explain to you what the pledge involves and what kind of uh, gifts you would get in response to your pledge. So, 824-5824-949, area code. Um, the, uh, so, what... Um, what was the what's the goal are you going to be able to sh- uh you going to show it at film festivals now um after this one to other film festivals or will you start distributing it online um and through um, through the uh methods you were talking about earlier yeah yeah um right now this year at least i'm trying to just kind of hit a lot of the film festivals um but at the same time i'm still you know like this is my first film i didn't really have anybody to kind of like mentor me in terms of making mm. the whole thing Mm. So it's really a learn-as-you-go type of thing. Um, but my plan, at least right now, is do some of the film festivals, and then I'm going to do um, a, a theatrical release, but just through small, you know, um, small theaters, independent theaters, like and really hitting specific uh, cities. Like art house theaters. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of them, you know, like Landmark over here in L.A. Sure. Um, so really specific theaters in specific, uh, you know, large Asian population um, cities. What, what and, then, l- and then release on digital. Was was this uh, a film filmed in LA area then? Um, um, actually, we filmed in San Diego. Oh. Ah. yeah. And um, was it? Uh, did you have to get permits or anything like that? On. You, you um, I think we got a permit, but the thing with San Diego is that they have a free permit. It's not like LA where they, you know, cost an arm and a leg to. Wow. Film something. It's um, a free permit. Wow. Huh. Yeah, it's a free permit um, if you're filming just on the street. So we did have a couple scenes, you know, on the street. 
but there was also a couple of things um, that we just kind of, you know, went in and just shot. Like, I don't know if, you know, I don't want to yeah. give too much away, but, yeah, yeah. you know, like the last scene, yeah. you know, we just snuck onto that train and yeah. got that. <laughs> it's the uh, Santa Barbara train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that, yeah, I was wondering about that. Um, that was cool, yeah. Um, because it, in a way, it's a res- respite from the gang life, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He looks outside the window and sees the Pacific coast uh, mm-hmm. as it streams by, as it you know flows by. I guess the water, um, yeah. yeah. So that was uh, kind of cool. Um, how, how? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so do do you think that um, you ha- you said that you feel kind of alone when you were doing this? Were, were there any? Um, did you go to any film festivals before that were helpful uh, in uh, networking at least? Um, no, actually, the only film festival um, that I went to before the L.A. one was um, the San Diego Asian Film Festival. Yeah. And uh, I was just, you know, a part of the audience, and um, and they have a really great community down there um, for, like, a lot of independent movies. So, you know, I checked out a lot of films. I really got inspired. But in terms of networking, it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's really organic the way you got to go about it. It's not like you go this, go there and you'll meet all these people. It's like you might meet someone, like, randomly on the street, and that might be the person that will introduce you to someone who can get you, you know, a certain thing or whatever. So it's not prearranged. Uh, you, you, don't no. ex- you can't expect to go there and then somebody will tell you how to do A, B, and C, and D. Yeah, it's not. But the thing, or the great thing, um, actually, you know what? I got a lot of my uh, knowledge from the Internet. Um, that's why it's so great to be a filmmaker at this time and age because... Yeah. Uh, when I was trying to find financing, I just went on Google and typed in how to get money for a movie. Huh. And there was all these links about you got to make a business plan, you got to have a pitch, yeah. you know, you got to have your script right and this and that. And I just researched like every day on how wow. to do that. And I made my own business plan following examples that they had online already. Wow. Huh. And I, I kind of just, you know, learn as you go type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. How? What did you shoot on? Was it digital cameras then? Yeah, the digital, it's a new camera, or it's not that new now, but it's the the red, the red one. I know, I, yeah, everybody talks about the red. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, people it's pretty I much know. like a standard uh, indie, indie film, yeah. film camera. Is it expensive to get that camera? Or do people rent it, or do they actually buy it? Um, I, I wouldn't recommend buying it unless you were trying to be like a, um, a DP and rent it out. Um, so oh, I, I rented my camera from a private, a private vendor, a pretty good, pretty good rate, but it's still going to cost you at least like a few thousand for oh. maybe like you know a couple of weeks or whatever. Oh, so you bought it would be much more than that. Oh yeah, if you bought it, the camera package that we use like it has a value of probably a hundred thousand. Wow. So and that's already bigger than my budget. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to drop. You don't want to drop it. <laughs> yeah. When you rent it, do is it cover insurance? Yeah, I have to pay for insurance, which is uh, basically. You know, basic production insurance oh. covers the entire production. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did were you afraid of uh, when you were filming with with any hassles with cops or anything um, at all? Um, I'll tell you. Uh, there's, there's a funny story that happened where um, where one of my my production designers should put a, a license plate, a fake license plate, on the back of my my car that we were using in the movie too. Um, oh, yeah. and then the next day we forgot to take it off because <laughs> it was a late night the night before and then the next day we had to shoot so we are driving around and I had um, Ty in the car with me and you know he was dressed in character you know and we got pulled over by cops and then immediately I was like oh no I think we forgot to um, take the license plate off and the cops came and then they just hassled us for like a long time trying to figure out what was going on because at first they thought that you know who else would have a fake license plate on the back of their car, you know? Yeah, suspicious. And they, they got us out, and then they're like, what are you guys doing? Luckily, we didn't have anything like guns or anything. Or, I mean, you know, prop guns. I don't carry uh, regular guns in the car. But uh, luckily, we didn't have any of that crazy stuff. And we told them we are filming a movie, and that's where we had the license plate. They didn't believe me. I showed them the <laughs> script that we had in my backpack. I showed them the script. The cops <laughs> proceeded to give me a lecture about why I was making a film about gang life, uh, and I told him, well, no, it's also about a musician, and he's trying to be a DJ, and he goes, oh, DJ, parties, like, all the same, gangsters, all the same, I was like, what are you talking about, 
So anyway, I listened to his lecture, and then they wrote us a ticket for 15, uh, no, it was, yeah, 1500 That's how much the ticket was. 1500 1500 And oh. uh, I went to court, I fought it, but I still had to pay like 500 bucks or something on it. What's, what do you, is that the, the penalty for having a fake license? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty steep, because I think, you know, I don't think that many people will drive around with a fake license unless they're trying to do something crazy. You know. This is San Diego cops. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a warning to us all, I guess. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Don't drive around with fake license plate. Good thing they didn't shoot you beforehand. But I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Right. Good thing they didn't shoot. <laughs> yeah. And ask questions later. Yeah. But uh, wow, you could have made that um, interaction part of the film, maybe. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe subpoena the the the. The video from the police car, they probably filmed it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted to. There was one of the scenes where we were planning to say, hey, if the cops come, film them. I told my DP, I was like, if the cops ever come, just film them. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much uh, uh, for you. talking. And um, the film is tomorrow at 9 o'clock at the CGV Cinema on Western Avenue in Los Angeles. And yep. for, for more information, you can go actually to the blog for Subversity. There's a link to the... Uh, Film Festival website and uh, trailer of this film uh, and it's subversities.blockspot.com um, subversities with the I-E-S dot blockspot.com thanks Byron thank you thank you Dan Bye-bye. keep in touch bye bye uh, so that was Byron Q who is the director of this new film Bang Bang having its world premiere uh, tomorrow uh, we're in the midst of a pledge drive here at uh, KUCI, a fund drive. Uh, call 949-824-5824 to support this station, the alternative programming that's uh, going on, that's being offered through the KUCI, the generosity of the University of California's KUCI. Uh, call 824-5824, area code 949. And a uh, volunteer will talk to you about what, items for the various levels of pledges starting with $35, a lower rate than last year. This is Dan Zhang's uh, with Subversity Program. We're going to be interviewing another filmmaker coming up. And uh, this week has been uh, a week of two film festivals, at least, uh, in this area. Uh, Right now, going on is this Asian Pacific Film Festival in Los Angeles, uh, in Koreatown as well as in West Hollywood. And uh, also at the same time is the Newport Beach Film Festival, which tonight has a special focus, uh, Asia Showcase, with films from uh, Asia, including China and Korea and Japan. Uh, there's a focus also on Japan, a Japan OC focus. So you can check out this uh, Orange County uh, Newport Beach Beach Film Festival. Uh, you can Google Newport Beach Film Festival and get the information on all the films that are showing uh, that both festivals started on the 28th of April. Both Newport Beach and the Asian Pacific Film Festival uh, started uh, this past week and uh, um, the week ago. And uh, uh, so uh, it's still going on. Both of these festivals are still going on. Uh, in a few seconds, we'll be uh, talking with another filmmaker, a different uh, independent film, but also a new film that's uh, showing at the um, Asia Pacific Film Festival in uh, in Koreatown. Uh, we'll be opening tonight, actually, this film. And... Uh, it's that film is called Heartbreaks Open. Uh, it's uh, filmed by uh, a director who has a uh, history of activism in um, in um, in uh, in music, and uh, she was uh, actually quite active in the Gorilla Girls, and um, so we'll be talking with her. Uh, she uh, started. Uh, not Gorilla Girls, Riot Girl, sorry. <laughs> Riot Girl Press, a pre-internet distribution service for s- self-published magazines focusing on young women's and queer issues. Uh, so it's uh, 
kind of activism, uh, alternative activism. Uh, and she was also active in ACT UP, and we'll be talking with her uh, shortly. Uh, her name is uh, Billy Rain, uh, and she has this, directed this new script, a uh, new film, that focuses on the life of um, community activists, a queer activist, who finds out that um, he is HIV positive and how he deals with it. So it's uh, quite a strongly uh, emotional film. Um, and uh, so um, he, um, so anyway, she will be uh, talking about that. Uh, and uh, the, act, the director was active in uh, punk rock bands uh, and doing spoken word performance uh, and then eventually uh, started this uh, magazine, a zine distribution service, uh, and then uh, switched to making films. Uh, so with us on the phone is another filmmaker, um, Billy Rain. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Uh, this is Dan Zhang. Uh, we're talking with Billy Rain, who's the director of a new film called Heart Breaks Open. Uh, it's a searing documentary, uh, uh, not a documentary, uh, actually it feels like a documentary, <laughs> but uh, it's a dramatization of a uh, community activist who uh, finds out himself that he is uh, HIV positive. Um, and this is set in the queer community in Seattle. Um, why did you make this film? Um, well, my uh, producer, Basil Shadid, and I have been working on, you know, independent and micro-budget projects for a while, and we just never seem to be able to figure out how to get our own project started. And this, this is an, an issue that the HIV uh, diagnoses are, are rising in Seattle, and, um, you know, we've, we're connected with the, the HIV community and, and the queer community, obviously, and it seemed like something that we could do that we had a connection with the community and, and that was an important issue to address. So. Oh, for sure. And um, you, um, you filmed in the areas uh, um, where there are these community-based organizations in yeah. Seattle, right? So you had the cooperation of all these groups. Um, yeah, they were wonderful. It was, it was so incredible. They, they just completely reached out to us and, and gave us a lot of support. I, I didn't, you know, it's been a while since I... Um, I mean, I've had AIDS tests, but uh, it's through my health plan, so I don't actually see all this, how people do it uh, in a uh, fast way. Uh, right. And uh, so they have this a little gadget now that actually will show you on, is, is it a self-done, a self, uh, self-applied self uh, thing, or is it still through a clinic? It was, it was a, it's a clinic that does it, and um, the clinic that we particularly went to is called Gay City, and they primarily focus on um, gay and trans men. Yeah, and it it's, it's looks like you can, it's very easy to, to understand what the results are if you look at it yourself. But totally, it's yeah, important. totally. And we wanted to demystify that too because I think yeah. a lot of people are scared to go. But it's good that there was a person there because, you know, if you were doing it yourself and you found out you were positive, you might freak out. Totally, yeah. And so that was good that he was helping a uh, helping hand there. Um, yeah, definitely. no, Luis, the tester, he um, that he pretty much just went into the office and and did exactly what he would have done if if uh, Max, the actor, was an actual client. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because at first they were saying it's like a diabetes uh, blood test that you just yeah. do it with a monitor type thing and you just find out, you know, the results. But it's nice. It's really important to have somebody there actually. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and that's one of the great things about the Seattle HIV community is there's so much support for people who are HIV positive here, and that was one of the things we wanted to show. So even though he was working in in related areas, he was uh, the, in the act in the film, the actor was uh, working in um, uh, abuse shelter and helping people get out of abusive situations, but he he didn't re- he he engaged himself in some kind of uh, risky behavior. Yes, totally. And so, did is it because um, you know? Of course, it's it could be risky, but is the riskiness from the fact that he had multiple partners, or is it because he didn't have protected sex? It, it was well. I mean, the the thing that ended up um, 
you know, causing his diagnosis was that he was having unprotected sex. Right, right. And uh, it said he cheated on his boyfriend. He, che- yes. he cheated. <laughs> <laughs> but that seems to be a, a common thing, I would think. Yeah, it is. I mean, pretty much everything that, that is in the film, um, aside from maybe this dream sequence, is, is pretty much things that happen that have either happened to people we know or we know these things happen. So we tried to, to make it as realistic as possible. Is it is the rate, uh, do you know more people dying from AIDS or having having AIDS uh, or getting uh, being identified as positive uh, than before over the period of time that you've been looking at this? Well, I mean, I was actually, in the early 90s, I was involved with ACT UP, and I right. noticed that there's sort of a peaks and valleys yeah. in terms of people talking about their diagnoses and, and, you know, increases and decreases, and it does seem to somewhat correlate with, um, you know, community awareness and public education. And I suppose among certain ethnic groups, it may have gone up especially, and also among young people, is that true? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, although I'm I'm really not an expert on, you know, the statistics. I, I'm right. more observing just my own immediate community, but there are, definitely, there are definitely communities that are particularly vulnerable and who are not given the access to the education and the tools they need to protect themselves. So in your film, you wanted to show there was, there was hope, right? Totally. Yeah. And <laughs> so in a sense, it is a, hopeful, it is a hopeful film, even though it's a bleak subject. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I wanted to show sort of the inner turmoil that the main character is experiencing and to, and to validate that because it is really real. And at the same time, I wanted, you know, to, to show him going through something like a healing that was facilitated by the people around him and the people in his community. So friends are so important, you know, in this situation. Totally. Yeah, and uh, because... I guess the tendency would be to crawl into your shell and not talk to anybody and feel right. like you can't talk about this to anybody. And, uh, exactly, and I think like we showed our character as someone who sort of wanted to do that but then ended up not being able to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I had a recent exper- ex- example of uh, s- a situation. Uh, a friend of mine was chatting with me on, on the Internet, and he's in China. And he just didn't know where he could get help. He found out he was HIV positive. He couldn't tell his um, uh, health plan because he would get fired from his job. And uh, he was in a big city. But even though a big, it was a big city, the AIDS groups over there didn't have any contact. The people that I know in China who are doing AIDS work didn't have any contacts in that city. And so he, I said, go to the websites. I mean, that was the, le- the least he could do, I guess. But it was very inadequate advice. And I felt yeah. kind of at a loss, you know. And I know it's 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 still it still is a big problem. There's such a stigma attached to it, um, and and it's and it's it's really too bad because at this point it's not a death sentence. It's totally treatable, and we know that it's not that easy to pass along. So there's really no reason to you know to stigmatize and, and isolate people who are HIV positive. Actually, the uh, U.S. just uh, ended its ban on people with HIV um, coming into the U.S., right? Yay! <laughs> I mean, for years, uh, activists couldn't even go to conferences in the U.S. Wow. It was, like, it was ridiculous. Awful. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was just a few months ago, I think, that that ended. And so it's wow. so one of the one of the few good things that Obama did do <laughs> in this area, I suppose. Yeah, he has done a few good things, definitely. Yeah. And so, um, how about the, I wanted to ask you actually about, I noticed that you did um, Ride Girls uh, distribution of zines before, uh, yep. Ride Girls Press. Uh, maybe you could talk about that. What, what was that? Well, um, well, so the Riot Girl movement was a young feminist movement that was based in the punk rock scene. And um, we, you know, we did a lot of sort of cultural work with bands and zines and spoken word. And so... Um, I was really, really involved with, with making zines and writing at the time, and so uh, a friend and I started something called Riot Girl Press, which was a clearinghouse for zines made by girls and women. And is, uh, was that uh, print publications then, at the time? Oh, yes. Yeah, zines are basically, I mean, at the time they were sort of photocopied magazines, although people are getting them printed now. Uh, so do they, um, have they migrated to the web now, basically, uh, as blogs or something? 
Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of the same types of people that would have made zines, you know, in the early to mid-90s are now doing blogs, although there are still some zines, but they tend to be a little bit more, um, they're, they're not as common, and they're a little, people think of them as a little bit more special, whereas in the early 90s, it was something that everybody felt like they wanted to do, and, you know, the Internet wasn't really available at that time, so it was one of the only ways to independently get your thoughts out there. Was it also a criti- uh, it was a political thing, obviously, right, too? Oh, yes. It was, it was completely a feminist movement. Right, right. Uh, are those archived anywhere? I'm a librarian, so I'm kind of interested in... Uh, I was interested in the early days on, in the alternative media, alternative press, that kind of stuff, in the, when I first came to America. And uh, so... Um, but with zines, it seems like uh, there are a few places that archive them, but do you think institutions are collecting them or have collected them? Yeah, there are definitely libraries that have girl zine collections or zine collections. Jeez, um, I wish I could think of which what libraries have them. There's a um, there's something called girlzines.net, which is girl with three R's and no I. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, That's great. And they have a lot of information about tons of zines made by girls over the last decade. Oh, that's and great. I think I'll they also have out. information about where you can find them. That's great. Yeah. And back to the film. So what 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 uh, decided you to make this film then? You've start you started with the shorter film before, huh? Um the uh, you mean the short that I made? Yeah, the short, yeah. You had yeah. done a short before. But what made you th- uh, decide to do this one particularly? Um I I really 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 wanted to do a feature. I just I I you know, I don't want to I don't want to sort of put down the Hollywood system, but when you're an outsider and when you don't live there, it's it's really hard to make a feature film and have anybody see it, and it's hard to get funding. And so uh, Basil and I, the producer and I, we just really, really wanted to make a feature-length film and, and hopefully do it and prove that we could make something that was a good quality, that was watchable, and hopefully maybe next time get a little funding. <laughs> so are you, are you maxing out on your credit cards? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I mean it was so worth it it was so completely worth it it changed my life I'm so happy I did it and I'm very very proud are you coming down to the opening tonight um no I'm not going to make it I I didn't think I was going to be able to come at all but um I am going to be able able to go to the closing ceremony oh on is that Wednesday or Thursday it's Uh, Thursday 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 yeah and uh that's also in Koreatown uh, yeah. At the cinema, uh, CGV Cinemas. And your film is playing at 9 o'clock at, uh, tonight, actually. At yeah, the that's CGV. Right. Oh, thank you. I, my producer was like, make sure you say the film is playing. <laughs> it's at the CGV Cinemas. Yeah. And on my blog, uh, I did a little blog entry on this show, and there's a link to the information on the website for the Asia Pacific Film Festival. So you can get more information about this film. Uh, and the blog is subversities.blogspot.com. Uh, subversities with the IES.blogspot.com. So that has an uh, entry on today's show. Um, so, and did you uh, particularly want to show, uh, did you feel that Seattle was kind of neglected in the uh, national landscape? That people don't, you know, they just think about Microsoft and they don't think about uh, community. <laughs> grassroots groups there in the well, region. Well, I mean, I definitely think in some ways Seattle is like a little secret, you know, it's like a beautiful city and there's so much wonderful stuff going on here, but I think a lot of people don't think about Seattle and to a certain extent, I, you know, the, with the um, the, thing, the locations that we filmed in, I, I wanted it to be a little bit of, of a love letter to Seattle, you know, yeah, and yeah. not so much to like say, hey, here we are, we're cool, don't ignore us, but more just to express my love for the beauty of the city and and for the beauty of the communities that are here. You know, I was surprised there there is a are there are there sisters of perpetual indulgence in Seattle also? Oh yeah, we have a big chapter here. Oh, because I always thought it was uh, I knew the founders of the ones in San Francisco, but um, but I didn't know it had spread everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and in fact, when we premiered, the world premiere was in London. And, oh. Um, there was a contingent of sisters, and they came and they blessed our film in London. It was awesome. Oh, wow. That's amazing. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's still going strong, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? Oh, yeah. They seem to be very strong. I mean, definitely on the West Coast. I can't really speak to anywhere else, but the, the chapters on the West Coast seem to be pretty big and pretty powerful, and they do great work in Seattle. I was, I was completely honored that they agreed to be part of the film. You know, the, um, did ACT UP just fade away, or what happened to that? The chapter you know, that's a good question. I, I really don't know. I mean, the, the thing that happened for me um, was that I ended up sort of shifting my focus to Riot Girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, I still was, was, uh, was working in ACT UP while I was in Riot Girl, but I don't know. Yet at, at, at a certain point, it seemed to kind of fade a little bit in terms of my awareness, and I'm not really sure. I was never a core organizer, so I'm not really sure what happened. It was a great, I mean, ACT UP and Queer Nation were both really right. big right. in the early 90s, and, and they were both great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for critiquing the f- pharmaceutical industry especially, right? And for the yeah. ch- critiquing the Catholic Church and all sorts of uh, institutions for totally. their ignorance of uh, their inattention, Reagan's inattention to uh, AIDS and all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you see, are you optimistic about I know there's uh, all these incidents of HIV and, um, you know, among different groups. And are you optimistic, though? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I think things ebb and flow, like like everything, you know. And, and I think there still is a stigma attached to HIV, but it's definitely a lot less than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And I and there's also a lot of support, a lot of organizations and, and healthcare providers and healthcare organizations that are supporting folks with HIV. So I, I do think I mean I don't know as far as finding a cure, I don't know, but I'm I'm optimistic about people's ability to take care of ourselves and, and to take care of each other in regards to HIV. Uh, at least in Western societies I think. You know, I mean the, it may be still hard in developing countries to get access to the the drug treatments and stuff. Yes, access is a huge problem. It's a huge problem globally. How, how did uh, how long do you think people can survive at this point? It, it's it's you, you said it's not a death sentence. Do you think yes. people can live almost basically almost normal lives? Huh. Oh yeah. I mean, I know. I mean, one one of the actors in our film is is HIV positive and and has been for I think a decade. And he's pretty healthy. And, and I know actually a lot of people who are positive who are really healthy. And, you know, they pretty much have to stick to their med routines, which, again, is about the access. Um, and, and if they do and if they keep up with their, you know, good self-care, they're healthier than me, really. <laughs> do they all, they all turn vegetarian or no? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but diet definitely is a big thing, right? I mean, you have to take care of your health. I mean, yeah. And yeah, uh, I mean, although, I mean, I've also known people who, you know, they, they don't exercise and they don't eat well and they still live for decades and decades and wow, decades with wow. an HIV-positive diagnosis. Do people, so you, people don't give up then, huh? You don't think people just say, well, I have it, so what's, what's there to worry about? I'm going to just, you know, do some crazy thing. I know people definitely do, and I think that's part of why um, at the time when we started writing the film, there was an increase in diagnoses. Oh. I think people were starting to give up on, you know, the using protection and, mm. and getting tested regularly and, you know, just really trying to be as safe as possible. And, and there is, I think, a feeling of, A, people don't think it's as big of a deal anymore, and B, you know, they're... Be, I think because partially because of homophobia, there is kind of this pervasive sense of um, uh, anger and fear and hopelessness that that often comes with acknowledging and realizing that you're gay or queer or trans, and that sometimes can reflect in, in behavior and in, in a lack of self-care, which of course is externally it's coming from the outside, but it affects us obviously on the inside too. Right, it gives us low self-esteem and exactly. uh, lack of confidence in dealing with stuff, yeah. Right, and you have to believe that you're worth protecting in order to protect yourself. Yeah, for sure. So you wanted to tell a story, but you it's, do you feel that it was better to do it as, as you did, as a dramatization rather than um, a documentary? Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, like, to a certain extent, I mean, we wanted to tell, like, a, a, a certain story, and um, we wanted to show sort of, like, the, the meta environment that would that surrounds the main character, but we wanted to control the outcome. Right, And right. you can't do that in a documentary. You just can't, so... Yeah, I mean, if you're... to do it with fiction. <laughs> for sure. If you're following a real person, you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly, uh, which is awesome. I love documentaries. But, but yeah. yeah, we did want to. We did want to have this person go through a really specific kind of emotional journey. So, did the characters also learn from this uh, film? You think? Oh the yeah, people that played the characters. Think so. Yeah, the people that played the characters. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we you know we kind of all learned from each other. It was a really really collaborative process, and it and, and it was really awesome. And not all of us were from the same communities, so there was a lot of sort of sharing and, and, you know, education across differences and things like that that happened. So was uh, nobody an actor, uh, uh, a professional actor, I mean? Well, um, Max, Maximilian Davis, the main right. actor, he, he's an actor. Right, right, all like right. capital A actor. <laughs> and, and, um, uh, he was from Ontario and uh, from, uh, uh, from Canada, and then he went to study uh, at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York. Um, okay, I don't. I think Samante is who you're thinking of from Canada, and yes, um, Max studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, it's in your in your notes. It said Max was from from uh, studied at uh, well, he studied at Queen's University in Kingston. Oh Ontario. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in that sense, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you actually have a huge program notes. You have a very detailed notes. Lots of cast. Uh, lots of people. Um, yeah, everybody. I think everybody was really proud. They really wanted to tell their stories. Yeah, what is this per cocktail lounge? Uh, yeah, per it's a it's a bar or what? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just one of the local one of the many local gay bars here in Seattle. Oh yeah. Oh cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Then um, I'll I'll give more information about the film uh, as we end. But uh, thank you for joining us. And oh, thank you. It's been great talking to you. I'll keep in touch. I'll have your email. And oh, okay. great. That'd be okay. awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, that was Billy Rain, uh, the director of Hot Bricks Open, a searing uh, dramatization of uh, the situation involving a young man, Jesus, or Jesus, he calls himself, Maximilian Davis, as played by Maximilian Davis, uh, who uh, has unprotected sex and then finds out he is HIV positive. And the film is about how he deals with it and the importance of having friends when you come to that diagnosis. Um, this is Dan Sang with Subversity here. Today we uh, also heard from a director of Bang Bang, Byron Q, who uh, was the director of this uh, film about gang life. Uh, that was filmed in San Diego. And both films are showing at the Asia-Pacific Film Festival, Los Angeles Asia-Pacific Film Festival, which is uh, you can get online at uh, Uh We're in the midst of our fun drive, and the number here is 949-824-5824. Call this number, and a volunteer will let you know about what the pledge is. Uh, the minimum pledge is, uh, we hope, is $35. And you can get a T-shirt, you can get a CD, etc. So call 949-824-5824 to support the programming that you hear, such as these interviews with uh, alternative film directors uh, on KUCI. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity.